thank you for tuning in to Unmasking Autism with AFO. I am your host, Carly Marissa Dummett. This podcast is presented by the Autism Foundation of Oklahoma and funded by the Oklahoma State Department of Health. For those who don't know, the Autism Foundation of Oklahoma strives to improve the lives of Oklahomans with autism across the lifespan. Before we jump in, I would just like to say that this podcast will discuss autism, suicide, mental health and wellness, among other topics, with autistic individuals and different professionals, with the goal of unmasking stereotypes, increasing awareness, advocating for mental health and wellness, and attempting to shatter the stigmas of these topics through conversation and personal experience. Hi, hello, welcome back to another episode of Unmasking Autism with AFO. I am your host, Carly Marissa Dummett, and I have a very special guest with us today, Miss Lauren Stover. Hello. Thank Hello. you for joining us. Absolutely. Um, would you just uh, tell us a little bit about what you do, who you are for the audience? So, sure. My name is Lauren Stover. I am the Executive Director of the Oklahoma County Crisis Intervention Center and the Oklahoma Crisis Recovery Unit. Um, we are governed by the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. All right, great. I had the opportunity to meet Lauren a few months ago when a colleague and I toured her facility. Uh, so I'm very excited for this conversation we're about to have today. And on that note, uh, we're just going to jump right in. Absolutely. So uh, first question is, what is crisis care, um, including the services you provide and some locations around Oklahoma? Absolutely. So crisis care, most importantly, is always determined by what that crisis is for the individual. Um, it's never a uh, cookie cutter. It is never um, the same across the board. Um, and so we deal with people that come in um, in elevated levels of distress. Um, so if they are coming in um, because of uh, suicidal ideations or attempts, um, homicidal ideations or aggressive t- aggression towards other people, um, if they are a crisis of needs, so that's a very big one that we get from the population that we serve. Um, and so crisis care is just there to meet the need of the person that's in front of us and do what we can to de-escalate the crisis. Um, so a lot of that um, initial part of the services that we have is just crisis intervention, trying to determine what level of care that they are needing. Uh, the whole goal is to de-escalate um, and to try to um, minimize whatever is going on so that way we can try to get them back into the community Um, and avoid inpatient admission if at all possible. Um, So whenever they come to us, of course, we're we're meeting their basic needs. So for a lot of our population that's coming with a crisis of needs, we're giving them food, we're letting them take a shower, we're washing their clothes, giving them clothes if they need clothes, things of that sort. They're getting an emergency assessment so that way we can determine um, big picture what is going on and what we need to do um, to help resolve those issues. Um, And then we're getting them connected to resources um, automatically um, that way we can either get them right to the community um, and resolve with those resources, or if it's to the point where we cannot get them to safety plan, even with those resources, that's not going to be enough because they're at risk um, of imminent danger to themselves or others. And then we're placing them in patient um, in a crisis stabilization unit where we are doing further um, things uh, for a longer length of stay, um, which it's actually short term. It's about five to seven days. Okay. Um, we get them on medications if needed. Uh, we are providing group rehab and group therapy. We are still connecting them with resources in the community, such as outpatient providers, 
um, housing resources, uh, benefits if needed, things of that sort, um, and then stabilizing what brought them to us in the first place and then getting them in the community once that's stabilized. Okay. And so uh, just for hypotheticals, you have someone that comes to the crisis Mm -hmm. center and then they go to the uh, stabilization center, right? You said that's the second one. Yeah. So if they come to us, we have what's called an urgent recovery center, which it's best thought of like a mental health emergency room. Um, And so if you come in, um, just like a regular ER um, that you go to for some sort of illness or injury, um, we just like the ER, they try to treat you and triage you there and then they'll tell you to go to your PCP. Um, It's kind of the same concept. Someone will come in, uh, we will observe them and monitor them and they will receive an evaluation by a licensed behavioral health professional. Um, and then we try to treat them and triage them as much as possible on that urgent recovery center and hopefully discharge them to an outpatient provider to continue their care in the community. If we're not able to, um, because of an imminent risk ca- um, capacity, then we will admit them to the crisis stabilization center side of it. Okay. And mm-hmm. um, what's the time frame in between intake and either discharge or being moved to the other facility? Sure. So the Urgent Recovery Center model is a 23-hour and 59-minute model. It doesn't necessarily mean that they'll be there for that full um, 24-hour time frame. Um, It could be less than that. Typically, from the time of entrance to the time of a decision, it's anywhere from about 4 to 12-ish hours. Okay. Um, But in a lot of times, we like to utilize the full 24 hours um, because being able to observe someone and monitor them um, but also be able to wrap around as many resources as possible within that time frame becomes very beneficial to hopefully avoid an inpatient admission as much as possible. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so how many people would you say you serve a month? Um, it fluctuates month to month. Um, some months um, it's about a minimum of 300, um, but we also see up to about 550. Um, so it's very kind of like a roller coaster. We never really know what's going to happen. Um, we're in a time frame right now where we are very, very busy at all times. And so. for people who might not know why holidays tend to be busier yes. for uh, mental health professionals, can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, especially just in the colder time, there's um, seasonal um, people have a spike with um, seasonal affective disorder. Um, And so their um, anxiety and depression is just a little bit worse during this time period. But also families can become very triggering for people if they have trauma um, or if their family family dynamics are just very unhealthy. Um, And it can um, cause an increase um, and it can cause a crisis in and of itself. And so sometimes people just need to get away and even just coming for a 24-hour break um, and having a safe space where you can talk to someone. Um, and kind of be able to still get those resources of like, let's connect you to someone that can help you process these things on a long term and learn some boundaries and things of that sort. Um, And but then it goes to the drastic side where if someone's being pushed to their limits, they might um, try to harm themselves. And then we need to stabilize them a little bit longer. So um, in your professional opinion, is are some of those factors why uh, you think maybe suicide rates tend to spike? in the holidays and in the winter? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, if we're, so we're talking about how many people you serve, would you say that there's like a certain set of um, people that you see more than others? Like I know when uh, we toured, mm-hmm. you said um, some of the population that you see 
multiple times tend to be homeless people, right? Yes, that's correct. We have a very large um, homeless population that we serve. And part of that um, is due to just the location that we're in. Um, and then also a part of it is just there is a lack of resources for that population. Um, and so they are, they have a lot of barriers on them. And so they are just consistently going in and out of crisis. Um, and so we have a no wrong door policy. And so it doesn't matter what they come to us for. It doesn't matter how many times they come to us. They will always have a welcome spot there. And even if that is, like I mentioned at the beginning, a crisis of needs where they need a safe place to sleep, they need a warm meal, they need a hot shower, that's what they're going to receive from us. Um, then another um, population that we see a lot um, or really more of the, uh, I guess, larger uh, admissions that we see is um, suicide ideation or suicide attempts. And then another one is psychosis. Um, we deal with that quite a bit, whether it's um, organic or substance induced. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, for people who might not know, and also my psychosis has always been a term that I don't think I quite understand. Sure. Like, so what can you just give a tiny little bit about what what is psychosis? Sure. So if someone is experiencing things of delusions, um, so they might have delusions of persecutions. Um, so someone is after them, they're being blamed for something, um, they're being persecuted of something, or um, they have flight of ideas, um, tangential speech. Um, they are also having hallucinations, either audio or visual. They're seeing things or hearing things that aren't there, and they often respond to those things. Um, with hallucinations, there's also command hallucinations. So the things that they're seeing or that are talking to them are telling them to do things um, that could be harmful to themselves or other people. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it, but those are just more kind of common things that we see with psychosis. Um, and so that could be organic just because they have a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Okay. Um, it could also be schizoaffective disorder, which they have schizophrenia that is also mixed with either a bipolar or a depressive episode. Okay. Um, and then there's also substance-induced psychosis. So it is an episode that is triggered by using um, some sort of uh, substance use um, of methamphetamine is what we typically see but it can also come from other stimulants. It can also come from opiates, which we are seeing a lot nowadays. Um, and so they are um, either on a high um, or they are crashing from it. And so we're seeing that quite a bit. Okay, but uh, in reality, anybody could suffer from psychosis, right? Like Absolutely. Because normal people sometimes get pushed to a point where they have a psychotic break. And would that be psychosis? Yes, okay. absolutely. Um, you can, if it's detected early on, you can have um, first episode psychosis is typically anywhere um, diagnosed as early as about 18 years of age. Um, that's on the earlier side, um, about 21 years of age. Um, but there's also late onset psychosis. Um, and they're not, you're not seeing it until they're about in their 30s or so. Okay. Um, and so, but it does, mental health does not discriminate, including exactly, yeah. psychosis. Um, so it is not, um, you know, mental health is genetic, but um, you could have um, no type of mental health history in your family and then suddenly you're impacted by it um, for no other reason outside of it just happens. It doesn't discriminate. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> um. Uh, so why is crisis care so important? Um, people need a safe space. Um, whenever there's a lot of 
unfortunately, barriers that can be placed on people um, seeking help, whether it's because they don't have insurance. Um, and so um, what I love about us is that, um, and this isn't specific to us because other people do this, but what I love about um, at least working for the department is that um, we don't have these barriers. We see people no matter what. It doesn't matter if you have insurance. It doesn't matter if you have income. Like we don't, no one is banned from seeking care from us. It doesn't matter what your criminal history looks like. It doesn't matter um, what you, what behaviors you engaged in the last time that you were there with us. We're going to see you no matter what. We're going to treat you um, as if that never happened. Um, and so the people need to be able to have a place that they can go to and people that they can turn to that aren't going to turn them away and aren't going to judge them and are going to be able to look at them like people and help them navigate that crisis because when you're in a crisis your um the the chemicals your your dopamine and your serotonin and things of that sort it's it's at a level that it doesn't know how to come back down from it doesn't your body is not at homeostasis and you need help getting back to that whether that's again you just need someone that's going to bring you in and let you sleep or you need someone that's going to bring you in and let you just talk and process and then say, okay, how about we get you connected to resources in the community and get you back out there? Or you need someone that's going to say, you're not okay and that's fine. We're going to get you the help and make sure that you're okay. We're going to get you on medications and then we're going to get you connected to resources, resources such as housing such as outpatient services rehab if it's needed um there's a lot of different uh, resources and connections that we have available whenever someone is in crisis um that can be very helpful for someone and sometimes it's it can be a last option for someone it can be the catalyst of years and years of trauma and anguish and it can be the thing that opens a door for them to say Oh, I can be okay. I'm not gonna cry. That's very, that's <laughs> you, tears are welcome. <laughs> tears are welcome. No, I I really like what you said though. Um, having a place where people can just be looked at as people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're all aware, especially you. I'm sure working so directly in the field, but uh, mental health still does have a stigma. Yes, even being homeless has a stigma, and yes. you know some homeless people are not homeless because they want to be mm-hmm. um or my friend works at the homeless alliance and that's where i hear from her um so i really like that you said like a place where people can be seen as people i think that's so important and also just for anyone listening um if you are in crisis and you don't have insurance or anything like that come just, see me yes just repeating what she said those things do not matter they're not going to turn you away um before we move on to our last question, I do just want to talk about a little something that I thought was very interesting when we toured your facility. Um, you mentioned how people dump people at yes. the crisis center. Can you just uh, shed some light on that situation for people? Yes. So a lot of times where we see this occurring is um, in the population where um, people are developmentally delayed. Um, so if they're in a nursing home or a group home and they they might be in an episode of crisis as well, um, but instead of that uh, group home or nursing home, um, you know, taking care of the person that's in their care, 
they will often without a referral um which we don't need a referral you know we take walk-ins we take um you can come however you need to come um but they will in a sense dump that person in our care and then not take that person back so then that person who is um unable to care for themselves has no way nowhere to go also um we do not specialize in developmentally um, disabled um individuals um you can be in a crisis and also be developmentally delayed um it is co-occurring um but for us we focus on the mental health aspect and it's one of those things of um what comes first the chicken or the egg so um are you in a crisis specifically because of mental health and we can treat that all day long or is this because you're developmentally delayed in which case we are not the specialists for we do not have um the capabilities to be able to help you navigate unlike the group home or the nursing home that is a specialist Mm -hmm. um and so whenever they reach a capacity and this is more whenever someone is in a particular episode of aggression or assault um and so they'll dump them on us um, and so we'll, you know, we'll do our process. We will take them. We will do, we'll do an evaluation to the best of our abilities and determine what we can or cannot do. Um, but then we don't have any way to get that person back because they won't um, answer our phone calls or they'll say that they're not accepted. Um, and we, we actually did a lot of research um, on this whenever we had a particularly difficult case get dumped on us and the place um, was not willing to take them back. And, you know, we had to um, contact um quite a few people to help us out with it and we found out that it's actually against the law for places to do that um they're they have to follow similar to like housing eviction um laws they're supposed to kind of like follow like an eviction process they're supposed they're supposed to formally evict you give you time to like find a place or also they're supposed to help coordinate a place for that person to go not just dump you in someone else's lap and say sorry best of luck um so it's not only really difficult on the place that is being dumped on especially if they're not an adequate place of care um but it's also horrible care on that individual um who doesn't understand um doesn't have any place to go might not have any sort of support system um and so it it's just an all-around negative impact on the system and that individual yeah so because it's not legal right mm-hmm. what happens to the facility like are y'all getting the cops involved and their hand are you know what i mean like um so we whenever stuff like that happens we uh contact the disability law center okay and um, we try to get help from them um we also try to do aps referrals um especially if it rises to the level of like negligence um it also just depends on if they want to step in um so so sometimes there there is avenues to take sometimes there isn't um we also want to focus on the person that's in our care we want to try to do the best thing to get them to another place safely because we they they can't be on the streets yeah um and so the as much as we want to be able to you know take action and, you know, we, we notify our leadership and we do the best that we can on the back end. But then it's also like, okay, what about the person served? Yeah. What can we do to make sure that they 
are not on the streets, if at all possible? Um, what support system do they have that we can contact? Are they willing to take them back in the interim of us trying to get them into another place? Yeah. Um, and really just trying to focus on that because ultimately that's what's important. Yes, was the dumping a terrible thing to do? Um, and was it against the law? Absolutely. Um, but also we want to make sure that the person that's in front of us is taken care of. Of course. Of course. Yeah. No, you're right. I'm just like, I know it's so, fr it gets really frustrating. And on, on one end, it's like, you want to be like, well, you need to send us a referral just like most hospitals do. Yeah. And then we could technically deny that person, but then it doesn't stop them from dumping because they can just call for transport and have that person dropped off without even notifying us, even if we deny a referral. Okay. Um, so yeah. I just found that very interesting. Yeah. I've thought about it numerous times since our visit. So I just wanted to talk about that for a second. Um, and so are y'all working with 988 in any way? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Yes. So if someone is in a crisis and they call 988, will they maybe if needed end up at your facility or? Yes. Okay. So 988's whole goal, and um, I don't want to speak on behalf of them, but Typically what they like to do and what they try to do, and they're very great at it, is that they will um, try to de-escalate it over the phone as much as possible. Um, and then if they're not able to, they will dispatch a mobile crisis team, which we have many throughout the state of Oklahoma through our CCBHCs or contracted providers. Um, and then the mobile crisis team will then go out and they also try to de-escalate it as much as possible. Um, if it rises to a level where 988 cannot de-escalate um, de it over the phone, mobile crisis cannot de-escalate it, they then, the mobile crisis team, or sometimes if law enforcement has to be contacted because it's reached that level of yeah. safety, yeah. Um, then they will bring that person to the nearest available um, urgent recovery center or crisis center. Okay. Um, so if it's like Oklahoma County or surrounding areas, it'll be us or um, HOPES URC that is on Southwest Oklahoma City side. Um, and then we'll accept referrals from them and do the process from them. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. I yeah, I had um someone from nine eighty eight on the show a few awesome. months ago. I love nine eighty eight. Yes. Um and our last question, I know you touched briefly on it with the developmentally uh, uh -huh. delayed uh population, but does this type of care um help autistic people? Do you see autistic people coming Absolutely. in? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of like what I said earlier, it's absolutely, anybody can experience a crisis, um, you know, developmentally delayed people or people with autism, Down syndrome, whatever the case of diagnosis may be, we do receive them very often. Um, we have had them both on our urgent recovery center and our crisis stabilization unit. The biggest thing that we look at is again, like I said, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. Are, we are focused on, we, we're not the experts, unfortunately, in the developmentally delayed area. Um, a part of um, our exclusionary criteria is that they cannot be admitted solely because of a developmental issue, um, because that's that's not our um, specialty. Um, I was very excited to learn um, a couple months ago that there is a um, facility I want to say that it was Creoaks, but I don't want to be held to that because it could be a different agency. <laughs> but they're actually opening a crisis stabilization unit specifically for those that are developmentally delayed. Oh, really? It, yes. So I uh, 
learned about that a couple of months ago. I don't know when their plan, I know that they're working on um, construction, all of that stuff. Um, okay. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, it's very much so needed because they still experience crisis. Yes, um, 100%. You know, like like I said, you know, we, we focus on the mental health and if that's going on, we 100% can treat that and we will. But then it once we hit the point of, okay, we've stabilized this part the other stuff is likely because of the developmentally um delayed diagnosis that they have that's kind of our stopping point because yeah. we we don't know at that point how to help them so to speak and we're constantly like learning and navigating and like what can we do to better help this population um but you know we we do the best we can to focus on what their crisis is and how we can help them but then also making sure that they're connected to resources um, and even making sure that, that we're helping the caretakers if they have caretakers um, and making sure that they have the support that they need and resources they need um, to continue providing support um, to their loved one that's in our care. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was just going to ask what happens in a situation like that. Okay, that's great. So you even try to help the yes. caretakers. Okay, that's yes. really cool. <laughs> um I think what you do is so awesome. Thank you. Um, would you, because I, I meant to ask this when we started talking, yeah. I was like, I have to bring it up. Like, uh, if you want, can you just like tell us a little bit about how did you get into this career? Like what? Sure. Yeah. So um, I grew up with family members that um, struggle with mental health and addiction. Um, so both my parents are veterans. Um, and so we, my dad was, um, impacted by 9-11 and so that um, and then my mom is also retired and so both struggle with PTSD and so kind of saw how that impacted and then my sister um, struggles with mental health and addiction and just kind of saw how that impacted um, my family and me personally um, and how um, you know the struggle to get adequate services at times um also seeing my sister just in and out of the system as a child and through her adolescence and things of that sort and so i as a child was um whenever i was like i want to be able to like help people that experience this so i was kind of that naive person that was like i can change the world <laughs> um and so that's kind of like where i came into it like i wanted to be able to um, help people that experience the same things. And then it just kind of um, grew out of, um, you know, I did my undergrad in psychology and my very first job um, was uh, with a severely mentally ill population, um, community-based work. And so I kind of just started off right off into crisis. So it's really the only thing that I've known um, and I love it. Um, it's for most people, they try to like stray away from crisis care because it's so intense and it's, it can be exhausting and you really have to have a good support system um, because it can, you can burn out really fast in crisis care. Um, but it's a population that is very underserved. Um, and so it's kind of one that I've always wanted to strive to try to remove the barriers that are placed on them and make a better system for them. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I always just like knowing how people got into this. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for your Absolutely. service and your dedication. Thank you. I mean, honestly, uh, I think you're doing just so many cool things. And, thank you. And, you know, with the state as well, um, I know that um, 
Oklahoma can sometimes have a reputation of being behind mm-hmm. when it comes to resources and stuff, but I think they're really trying. Our mental health is really on, I believe, on a really great path, especially with our crisis continuum response. Um, we have over 20 um, urgent recovery centers or URCs and crisis centers right now with more opening by the end of the current fiscal year. So by June 30th, okay. we'll have even more. Um, and so we are, I'm very proud of the system that we have in place. I was at a conference um, last week for a crisis continuum, um, a nation crisis continuum response. Um, and it was very, they actually used Oklahoma's um, crisis continuum roadmap okay. as an example of the ideal crisis system. Okay. Um, and so it was really just, it was one of those, I was like sitting in the audience. I was like, that's, that's my people, <laughs> that's us. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think, and we wouldn't be able to do it. Um, our our commissioner is wonderful. The the our executive leadership with the department is um, amazing, and uh, we're we're looking at things often. We're changing things often, and we're um, trying to serve the people the best that we can. Yeah. So yeah. I I love it. No, I love it. Awesome. Yay. That's so, okay. I'm glad I know that. Now I'm gonna repeat that. People will be like, "Well, Oklahoma, they're using our roadmap." Okay. I great. know. No, yeah. I was like, cool. I was sitting in the crowd. I was like. That's, that's that's me. Yeah. yeah, no, that is you. Yeah, for real. Because, like, it's, it was just a really cool moment. I, like, emailed all of our, um, like, executive leadership, and I was like, they used us. That's super They cool. said we're the ideal crisis system. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm so glad I know that. Especially because our uh, state population is not massive. Right. Like, uh, huge cities have, like, triple yeah. the amount of people in the entire state of Oklahoma. So I think that's super cool. We're, yeah top of the line we're on the map yeah no that's (laughs) awesome um well thank you i really appreciate you coming in and taking the time you guys uh you heard her and i'm gonna repeat it just one more time for good measure if you are in crisis you can visit a crisis or an uh urc urgent recovery center in oklahoma and get the help you need and get connected to the resources you need i'll put the website um to her uh urgent crisis center or nope i asked up you You're are close. A C, uh, in the description of this video. And besides that, thank you again. And Absolutely. we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in to Unmasking Autism with AFO. I'm your host, Carly Marissa Dummett. Thank you again to the Oklahoma State Department of Health. And for any information on our trainings or our events, please visit www.autismfoundationok.org or follow us on social media platforms at Autism Foundation OK. As always, thank you so much and we'll see you next time.